The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today I'm honored to welcome my guest, Dr. Michelle McGuire. She is a professor of nutrition and director of of the School of Family and Consumer Sciences at the University of Idaho in Moscow. Her research has focused mostly on the maternal nutrition impacts of human milk composition. She's been doing this research for over 30 years. And of course, what impacts human milk composition, we would assume would thereby affect infant nutrient intake. Of particular interest is her understanding of the importance of dietary lipids or fats to maternal and infant health. And most recently, her research team at the University of Idaho has become intrigued by the presence and variability of bacteria in human milk, also known as the human milk microbiome. I heard Dr. McGuire speak at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics meeting in Washington, D.C., where she presented a talk titled Feeding and Seeding. Human Milk's Composition, Impact on the Infant Microbiome. Welcome, Dr. McGuire. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Well, as I was looking at your bio that you have at the University of Idaho, I saw that you had included that you were a seasoned science writer who is passionately committed to bettering human health through user-friendly, high-quality, evidence-based nutrition information via the press and public. And I couldn't agree more. I also find that to be a wonderful gift to be able to do that. So tell me, we all study nutrition, but we all take different paths. And I was wondering how you found interest in maternal nutrition and breast milk. Oh, gosh, that is a great question. And you are absolutely right. Uh, I think nobody sets out on the path that they end up on. So it's always an interesting sort of story how people got here. I actually did not study nutrition until the second semester of my senior year at the University of Illinois. I was going to go to medical school. I had taken, I got into quite a few. I had accepted a position in medical school, and then I decided to take a nutrition class and absolutely fell in love with it. I never turned back, gave up my spot in medical school, ended up doing my master's degree in nutrition at Illinois, and then my PhD in nutrition at Cornell, both in the area of maternal infant nutrition and human milk composition. And I just absolutely love what I do. Well, it was evident from your talk, and it's so funny that you say that because I, too, I was majoring in something completely different. It was going to be art history, and I took one nutrition course, and I fell in love with it. And like you, that love has only grown. And it's because of researchers like you that really fuel my curiosity and interest in the field. And I realize that we're at such a tip of the iceberg in understanding the world in which we live and how... We are so affected, largely, as we're learning, by microorganisms. And I think perhaps you would agree with this, but to me, the new frontier in nutrition and health and medicine is with what we call the microbiome. So 
why don't we talk about, you know, what is, how can we define the microbiome for our listeners and then specifically the milk microbiome? Sure. And I would like to just preface this with uh, mentioning that I am not a trained microbiologist. However, so many of us that are in this field come to it from other disciplines like nutrition. Mm -hmm. So I will be honest, when I first started studying the bacteria in milk, I had to educate myself as to what these terms meant. And so I'm happy to share that with the audience because I think this is a little bit confusing. When we talk about microbiota or bacteria, really we're talking about anything that's living in small, hence the term micro. Biota. It just means small living things, right? Right. And so when we talk about the microbiota in milk, we're talking about the bacteria, the viruses, any of these microscopic living things in milk. And that's what we call the milk microbiota. Now, you hear the term microbiome used quite a bit, and it's slightly different. A lot of us use it interchangeably, but microbiome actually means the collection of DNA or genetic material that is in a particular substance like milk. So when we talk about milk microbiome, what we're really talking about is what are all the microbes DNA that are in that milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's slightly different. Um, it is. But I will, here I'll probably, I'll just talk about microbiome as if it's all the bacteria in milk, because in general, that's what people mean. Exactly. And I think that many of us, decades ago, we thought that human milk was probably sterile. We didn't think that it was, as you referred to it in your talk, as a living fluid. And so when did we make this discovery that human milk and really any mammalian milk is really a very complex fluid? Well, we have known it's complex for over a century. Oh, wow. We've known, well, we didn't know that it had bacteria in it, but we've known it's complex. We knew that it not only contained vitamins and minerals and things that we typically call nutrients, but it also contains living cells hormones, basically anything that's in the maternal bloodstream gets into milk. Mm. Um, So it's really a transfer of all that sort of material to the baby. What is new in the field of human milk is, the, as you said, the fact that milk is not sterile. We have thought for a very long time that milk, like any other biological fluid, like blood, like amniotic fluid, anything like that, we thought it was sterile unless there was some sort of infection going on. And the reason we thought it was sterile is because the way that we have historically looked at bacteria in anything is we've taken the fluid, let's say blood or milk, and we've put it on a Petri dish that has been designed to grow certain things, certain bacteria, and they've always been pathogens, so things that we're looking for that we think are going to make us sick. And so each one of these Petri dishes that you grow something on only grows those pathogens or those disease-causing bacteria. Well, it turns out that 99.99 or some very, very high number of the bacteria that we have are not pathogenic, They're just hanging out there, 
and probably um, providing good stuff for the host or the human that they're living in. And so it took recent technological improvements so that we are now able to say what bacteria are in a fluid like milk because what we do is we actually look at the genetic material. We don't have to grow the bacteria up anymore. We just look at the genetic material, and that provides us with a fingerprint of which bacteria are there. And the first study that actually used that technique to look at the global bacteria in human milk was published just in 2011. It came out of our research group, and it was a surprise to us at the time. So this is a very, very new field. And before that time, there were some indications that healthy human milk contained bacteria, but we didn't know how diverse and how rich that bacteria was until 2011. Mm-hmm. I think that, at least for my own training in dietetics, I remember when women were pretty much given the message, well, it's okay, breast milk versus formula. It was sort of like a Coke or Pepsi choice. And I think for a lot of women who went into raising an infant, if they felt that breastfeeding was somehow going to be difficult or inconvenient, or perhaps there wasn't enough support from their family, their larger community, infant formula was seen as a comparable substitute. And while babies do thrive on infant formula, certainly, I don't know that women were really well educated about the powerful nature of breast milk. And I think that your talk in Washington, D.C. really made it so much more evident that breast milk plays a huge role, not only in in influencing the infant's gut microbiota, but in also this relationship between the infant and the mother, and all of these different mechanisms involved in communication with those different bacteria. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? I would love to. And again, as you mentioned, you know, we're just at the tip of the iceberg on this. And Before I do a deep dive into that, I I would like to just acknowledge that I'm very grateful that there are good formulas out there and that certainly babies can be nourished well with formula. So I'm, you know, I'm not one of these people that is a militant breastfeeding advocate, although I do, of course, support breastfeeding. I I, I don't want to suggest that babies that are fed (laughs) formula are less loved or something like that. That's crazy. Right, right, right. But in terms of... But of course, there are no, there there are none of these complex living substances in formula, and honestly, there will never be, um, mm. because we there's no way we can replicate what's in human milk, yeah. and it's just it's fascinating and stunning what's in human milk. For example, all of these bacteria are there. We know that, for example, a given mother produces milk with a certain bacterial community structures, just certain bacteria. There might be 50 different types of bacteria and a certain distribution of those bacteria. And depending on the mother, depending on where the mother lives, and depending on some other things that we don't understand at all, women seem to have a personalized milk microbiome. And we're very fascinated now about how that happens. And we do think that, in fact, the baby is influencing this and that it's a bi-directional sort of communication going on between the mother and her baby. For example, let's say a baby comes into contact with some sort of maybe pathogenic bacteria 
or maybe a non-pathogenic bacteria, or maybe just something that the baby needs to learn to tolerate. And those bacteria and those substances go into the baby's mouth. We now know that anything in the baby's mouth actually gets transferred into the breast every time the baby nurses, Mm -hmm. giving the mother this incredible opportunity to respond to that, either by producing different antibodies or perhaps teaching the baby that, oh, this bacteria is something you're going to see your whole lifetime, learn how to tolerate it. Mm-hmm. So we're, again, we're just barely understanding how this works, let alone why it works. Yeah. But I think that it, the what we're seeing, the picture that's emerging is that that mother and that infant have ways to communicate via breastfeeding and via milk. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of, it sounds kind of like it should be coming out of Star Trek, but it's, it is real. This is, this is what the new science is telling us. Yeah, I remember the slide that you showed. I believe it came from pharmacology research back in 2013. And it was just different pictures, the human milk microbiota, origin and potential roles in health and disease. And as you mentioned, the bi-directional communication, I just saw this as so magical and so perfect for babies to truly be protected with the help of their mother's bacteria that I was floored. That's when I said, put a little star in my notes and I said, bring her on Food Sleuth Radio. This is too important to miss. I was curious about the gut bacteria that exist in the mother and how that transfers to breast milk. Can you walk us through some of those potential steps? Well, so, you know, the the big question right now is how do the bacteria get into the milk? Right. And it's a really good question. There's loads of controversy amongst scientists, and we're just now starting to do the rigorous scientific experiments that we have to do to really prove where it's coming from. But the theories right now are basically that the bacteria are getting there in two ways, one from the baby's mouth. So every time the baby latches on and suckles, there's actually what we call baby backwash, which is anything in the baby's mouth goes into the breast. And we've seen that via ultrasound pictures. It's pretty amazing. We didn't know that until recently. The other route, which is what you referred to, is the, it's called the enteromammary pathway. So entero always refers to the gastrointestinal tract or the intestine. And the theory here, and this is backed by a couple of human studies and a couple of animal studies. The theory here is that bacteria in the mother's intestine are actually sampled by the mother's immune system. So these immune cells actually reach through gaps in the small intestine and sample bacteria that are in the intestine and then safely traffic that bacteria to the breast in the first what's called the lymphatic system and then the blood. And then the bacteria get into the breast or the mammary gland and then get into the milk. So it's a way, it's a very safe way to introduce the baby to the bacteria that the mother is encountering. Right. Wow. Because it's protected by the mother's immune system and it's in the milk. Yeah. 
Let me take one break because I need to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, where we are speaking with Dr. Michelle McGuire. She is a professor of nutrition and director of the School of Family and Consumer Sciences at the University of Idaho in Moscow. And I recently heard her speak at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics meeting in Washington, D.C., where she presented a talk titled Feeding and Seeding Human Milk's Composition Impact on the Infant Microbiome. Well, I want to talk about the mother's microbiome for a moment and how it influences the milk microbiome. Because from my research and reading on the microbiome in each of us, what I've learned is just how influenced it is by what we eat. I've interviewed someone who mentioned that with every meal, we can change the microbiota. So are there any recommendations yet about how a mother's diet might potentially impact her baby beneficially? We know very, very little about that. There are a few studies that suggest that the mother's diet might impact the milk microbiome, but they're very low-level studies. Actually, they've come out of our group, so I can speak quite widely to those. They are not the rigorous studies that we need in order to really definitively conclude anything. But the data suggests things like, for example, women who eat more energy or more calories, they produce milk that have more of what are called the firmicutes. Now, we don't know what kind of health outcome that would have for the baby. Yeah. So what we really need to do at this point are some, we need to do some dietary intervention trials. These are clinical trials where you feed mothers different things and you see what happens to their milk. But, you know, honestly, the bigger question is, what do we mean by a healthy microbiome in the baby? We don't really know the answer to that. Right. And so until we really understand what's healthy, what imparts the most health benefits to the baby we really have to be very careful about making recommendations about what the mother should eat or what the baby should look like. And another caveat to that is that we have very good evidence that what's healthy for babies in one location and one place, one culture, might be different from what's healthy in another location and culture. Right. So there probably isn't even a one-size-fits-all construct to this. Right. Well, that brings us to the INSPIRE project. Why don't you give our listeners a taste of this incredible project that is global? If I'm correct from my notes, you've studied over 400 women, and you're looking at the composition of their milk. And what else have you been discovering? Yes, this is the INSPIRE project that was funded by the National Science Foundation and also peripherally by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. We're always really thankful for our funders. And this was a project that we embarked on about five years ago with colleagues at Washington State University and then around the globe. And to give the listeners some sense of how global this is, we study moms and babies in two places in the United States, in Peru, Sweden, Spain, Kenya, two locations in the Gambia, two locations in Ethiopia, Ghana, and I think I'm missing one, but it was eight countries, 11 locations. And yes, we took milk, we collected milk samples and infant fecal samples from over 400 moms and babies. Wow. And the 
The initial idea, we started the study right soon after we published the first paper on the milk microbiome because at the time, we had data from the Pacific Northwest in the United States, what milk microbiome looked like. We had some colleagues in Spain and in Finland who were also starting to look at the milk microbiome. They were getting different results. And we didn't know if the differences were real or if they were just due to the way we were collecting and analyzing the milk. And so we basically all got together and said, let's do this right. Let's collect milk and infant feces around the world using exactly the same methods. Let's ship all the milk and feces to the same lab and analyze it the same way. And then we'll really know if there are differences and whether those differences are real. So it was a pretty big undertaking. It's been a lot of fun. Colleagues around the world have made it possible. And we've published a couple papers, and the bottom line is that our initial hypothesis, our hypothesis was that milk composition varies around the world, and in particular, milk microbiome varies around the world. We Our data do support that. But we also found that there are some types of bacteria that are in all samples. So there's what we call a core microbiome that seems to be very, very consistent around the world. And then we find unique bacteria in some locations. Hmm. Very interesting. And how this all plays out in terms of long-term adult health for those infants is really a key question there. It is. Yeah. It is. And those studies just have not been done. Right. Well, we still need lots more research. So this is also a plug to make sure to fund our national funding sources for good, credible science. When you talk to women about the importance of breastfeeding and diet, do you make any recommendations? I know that you've also been looking at the fat level of maternal diets. Why did you start looking at that? We got interested in milk fat years ago. We were actually inspired in that case by some studies that were being done in the dairy industry where they were trying to understand why some cows had low milk fat and some cows had high milk fat. And it turns out that a lot of it had to do with trans fats, which you've probably heard of and maybe the, the listeners have also heard of. So Trans fats are these fats that we are actually trying to get rid of in our food system that used to be really prevalent in margarine and crackers and things like that. And it turns out that these industrially produced, what we call industrially produced or commercially produced trans fats, increase risk of heart disease. They actually cause inflammation. And it turns out they also cause milk fat depression in cows. And so Several decades ago, we got interested in studying whether that happened in women as well, and we were able to show using rigorous intervention studies that if you had women consume a lot of trans fats, like they would consume a lot of margarine, their milk fat decreased significantly. Wow. So that, yeah, and that actually was some of the data that were used to really support this ban on commercially produced trans fats in the United States. Very so that's how we got interested in that. Yeah, that's fascinating because I had not seen that research. I was only focused on the cardiac risk. It's so interesting about how our diet affects so much of our health and how we interact with our kids. So you had another area of research that I wanted to touch on, and that was understanding the physiologic mechanisms driving the return of ovulatory function during the post 
postpartum period. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about that too? That's a mouthful, isn't it? It is. Yes. That's actually what I did my PhD on at Cornell. So it turns out that there's this period of time after you have a baby and you're breastfeeding, or even if you're not breastfeeding, that you don't ovulate. So it's right. sort of Mother Nature's contraceptive. Right. And in fact, it turns out to be the most important contraceptive around the world because there are a lot of women that don't have access to other forms of contraception or culturally they're not acceptable. And there's a big variation in the duration of that period of what we call anovulation when a woman cannot get pregnant, and we don't understand what's driving that. And so I've been very interested in that just for women's health and infants' health and understanding what factors are related to that. Because in the end, what we'd like to be able to do is at least have women be alerted to, hey, you know, you could become pregnant now, or give advice to women as to how to increase that contraceptive period if they don't want to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so we've done some work on that. And it, we don't understand the, the physiology behind that. We do know that in general, women who are malnourished or very thin have longer periods of the contraceptive effect of breastfeeding. And interestingly, there appear to be groups of women, and we don't understand the physiology, who are just innately reproductive earlier. And so what we'd really like to do is figure out what's different about those women, because these women can ovulate and become pregnant within the first month postpartum, whereas the average woman, it's going to be six to nine months. That's really so if interesting. We could, yeah, if we could get a better handle on that, we could help women with their reproductive choices in a better way around the world. Right. And one has to wonder, too, about the environmental contributors, you know, if there are any kinds of endocrine disruptors in the environment that are also playing a role. And I wondered about that with regard to just what kinds of compounds are able to get through into breast milk. Some do, some don't. But mm -hmm. the, the environment, not only contaminants in the environment, which seem to be ubiquitous anymore, but also stress, especially globally, there are so many areas in our world where there is conflict. And one wonders how stress also impacts the microbiome as well as the mother's milk. Yes, we do. <laughs> we know that stress, anxiety, stress, you know, psychological stress can impact milk production. We know that if, for example, in war zones, it, one of the horrible things that happens is that breastfeeding women just stop producing milk. I mean, it's the same thing that happens with cows. If you stress a cow, they will stop producing milk as well. Wow. And we also know that stress decreases the, the menstrual cycles. So women who are highly stressed can sometimes stop menstruating. Yeah. So stress has a huge impact. Yeah. We just have a minute left. Do you want to leave our listeners with any kind of final message? Oh, gosh. I, my final message would be that it's complicated, right? Yeah. The whole world of nutrition is complicated. It's so complicated that I honestly think the, the best advice we can give people is, is stays simple. It's still eat a variety of food, eat foods in moderation, and enjoy your food. And that sounds crazy because I'm a high-level nutritionist. You'd think I would be telling you to eat a certain sort of diet. But in fact, we don't know about the majority of things that are in food, and we don't really understand what the optimal diet is. So the best bet is to eat a variety of food and eat it in moderation and enjoy your food. 
Those are great messages. I really appreciate that. We've got to close. And in doing so, I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. I want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind everyone that we have been speaking with Dr. Michelle McGuire. She is a professor of nutrition and director of the School of Family and Consumer Sciences at the University of Idaho in Moscow. I heard her speak at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics meeting in Washington, D.C., where she presented a talk titled Feeding and Seeding, Human Milk's Composition Impact on the Infant Microbiome. Thank you so much for being my guest. You're welcome. Thanks so much for inviting me. Mm-hmm.